0: Many women struggle with dryness, pain, and a huge dip in sexual desire when they hit menopause. I know I sure did. No one prepared me for what it would be like, and the information out there was either really confusing or it kind of made fun of menopause. Join me today as I chat with Sharon Dipsinski, a licensed clinical social worker and certified sex therapist about menopause and what you really need to know. And if menopause is a long time away for you, I'd still listen because you may learn something that you'll be grateful to know later on down the road. And if you're a guy and thinking, I don't need to know this, well, guess what? It sure would be nice for you to know how to support your partner through this. Are you ready to cut through the BS and get down to the truth about sex and love? Welcome to The Great Sex Podcast. I'm Dr. Heather England, a certified sex therapist and relationship expert. Join me for candid conversations that address what you truly want to know about sex. I want to empower you to ignite your sex and love life. Today, I'm chatting with Sharon Zipsinski. Sharon has been a licensed clinical social worker for over 25 years She has a master's degree in clinical social work from Michigan State University, a certificate in sex therapy from the University of Michigan, and she's an ASEC certified sex therapist. ASEC stands for the American Association of Sexuality Educators, counselors, and therapists. That means she's done a lot of training and supervision to become a certified sex therapist. Sharon has also completed a clinical training program at the Loyola University Outpatient Sexual Dysfunction Clinic. Sharon has expertise in sexuality and aging, LGBTQIA plus related concerns, alternative relationships, relationship difficulties and sexual health. She also has experience helping clients with vaginismus, painful sex, difficulties with desire and or orgasm, delayed or premature ejaculation and erectile dysfunction. I'm so excited to have Sharon with us today. Not only does she know a lot, she's also very direct and articulate. With her explanations, which we all know is my style too. Sharon will share some really helpful resources throughout the podcast. So hey, welcome, Sharon. Hello. Hi there, Dr. England. Thanks for having me on with you. I am so excited for you to be here. I think you are brilliant, and plus you're a really good friend. So it's great to have this conversation with you. Yeah. On a very important topic. A very important topic, yes. So let's start with reviewing what menopause is and what happens during that time leading up to menopause in that time period we call perimenopause.
1: Yeah, so there's actually kind of a lot of mystery about that because what we often call menopause, we're sometimes a little mistaken on. Um, Menopause is actually sort of that period when you've officially hit 12 consecutive months without a period. And so it's sort of that moment in time and actually perimenopause is the period, period of time leading up to it in which we have a lot of fluctuation in our hormones. And that is the time in which we have a lot of symptoms. Typically, it can last up to 10 years. So Ooh, longer a than long time. Yeah. Longer than many people believe. Hmm. And once we hit menopause, then we're postmenopausal, and then our symptoms actually tend to level out at that point.
0: Mm. So, so I'm postmenopausal, mm-hmm. and I went through really an early menopause compared to that average, right?
1: Yeah, the average age for menopause is 51. So if you think about that, there are women that could be starting their perimenopausal symptoms in their thirties. Yeah. So we don't really talk about that ever, which is why more women need to know about this than ever think that they do.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think of how you would feel if you're mid thirties and you're already having symptoms when you think, oh, it's just those older women, you know, Mm -hmm. that go through menopause. It would, would really, I think that would be emotionally really hard.
1: Yeah, for sure. And it can be challenging because some doctors will just dismiss symptoms. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that's really important to know is if you're struggling with some of the symptoms that we'll talk about today, it's important to find a physician or a provider that will listen to you. Um, One of the great resources out there is the North American Menopause Society, NAMS, and you can go to menopause.org and find a practitioner who is a certified menopause practitioner, which means that they have done lots and lots of extra studies in menopause. And so they will
0: definitely be someone who is well-versed in this. Wow. You know, I think that back to when I was perimenopausal, the only reason I was even aware of it is because I was trying to get pregnant and I couldn't get pregnant. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, and I was like 37, 38. Mm-hmm. So I I was one of those women that went into it fairly early. Sure. And
1: as a 50-year-old woman, I also am, I think I'm probably perimenopausal. I could be menopausal, postmenopausal. I'm not sure because I have what many women, you know, might have where I have an IUD and I haven't had a period for a long time already. So. Wow. I will not know when I hit that sort of, you know, red flag of saying it's been 12 consecutive months without a period mm-hmm. because I haven't been having periods for many years.
0: Well, so it sounds like women that are on birth control are really going to have a hard time even knowing when they're starting. Possibly, mm-hmm. especially if it's a method of birth control
1: um, with which you're right. You've stopped having periods. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and so, um, one of the sort of red flags that we should watch out for is sometimes you'll hear medical providers talk about, well, let's test your hormones.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But really, um, the standards that have been recommended are just to follow the symptoms. Because the period of perimenopause is very roller coastery. The hormones are fluctuating. Wildly, So it's Mm -hmm. not necessarily just less estrogen. It can also be periods of really high estrogen. And it's sort of, I think about it as like that last spurt of estrogen as your body's kind of getting ready to stop or, you know, pause a little bit. And so testing your hormones only gives you a snapshot of that time on that day. And it doesn't get any idea of whether you're in a high phase or a low phase. And so what doctors really the science has shown is that they just listen to women and and actually care for their symptoms.
0: Yeah. So you know what that makes me think of is all of those clinics that are popping up all over mm-hmm. that test hormones, yep. and they advertise money, that come in money, and do a money. consult. Yep, money, 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 money. So yeah, so really knowing about this, which it's not talked about, you know, is so helpful for people to not fall into that trap and make that mistake, because that could lead them down this really bad pathway. Yes. Yeah.
1: The medical standard is also that medical hormonal therapy can be started in perimenopause when women are having troublesome symptoms. Hmm.
0: So maybe we should talk a little bit about the symptoms that can come up. Yeah, I think that would be great. Before we get there, though, um, and you may talk about this with the symptoms, you know, when you talked about how hormone levels can really fluctuate, Mm -hmm. you know, my first thought is what's going on inside of our bodies? Like, how is somebody experiencing that? Because we, you know, we know how much hormones control for us as women.
1: For sure. In fact, they kind of group the categories of symptoms into four categories, which is physical, cognitive, mood, and genital urinary or sexual vaginal kind of symptoms, Mm. um, which includes genital urinary syndrome of menopause, which is something we'll talk more
0: about. All right. All right. So do you want to, let's segue into this. Do you want to then start hitting the symptoms and what people might start experiencing in perimenopause? Sure. Um, Would you like to specialize in the sexual realm or do you want to expand into all of them? I think we should hit all of them. I I really do. I think this is such a critical topic and, you know, just sharing that information, I think will be helpful. Yeah. And so this might even be a bit of our sharing as we went through
1: some of these transitions ourselves. Um, Things with uh, physical are things like um, sometimes we can have joint pain, we can start to lose some bone mass. Um, women who are postmenopausal, one out of two of those women will have a bone fracture from osteoporosis at some point in their life. So it is really crucial to start to pay more attention to your bone health. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, are there some things that you want to add in there? Yeah. You know, one of the things I think that is really helpful for bone health is just to continue to eat healthy and to work out doing some type of weight bearing exercise. Yeah. And, you know, I feel as a woman who's postmenopausal and who struggles with, I, I think I actually do have osteoporosis. I was in osteopenia for quite a while. Um, but yeah, I really make working out a priority and make sure I'm doing weight-bearing exercise. Yeah. You know, the other areas we should probably also add there in that
1: physical realm are things like hot flashes, which for many women is um, maybe an early sign that they're starting to go through some of the transition, especially having a really high um, night temperature. Um, things like changes in our skin or our hair, our hair can get thinner. Um, we can lose hair, our skin. Of course, the, the joke is that we gain wrinkles in our face and we lose wrinkles in our vulvar area. <laughs> so, um, that is part of the physical change too, is that, um, along the way, um, we can have changes in our vulvar area that we'll, we'll go over a little bit more in that, that chunk about genital urinary syndrome of menopause.
0: Yeah. We make a lot of jokes about hot flashes. I feel like I didn't have hot flashes. I had night sweats mm-hmm. and there's nothing like waking up at 2 a.m. when your sleep's already jacked up for menopause and you wake up at 2 a.m. and you're drenched and your sheets are drenched. And it's not like you're going to change the sheets at that point in the night. Right. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and you are right about the sleep changes. About 50
1: percent of women who are having menopausal Changes, transition, struggle with sleep issues. Mm. That's really rough. Sleep impacts everything. It sure does. Yeah. Our next little chunk then is cognitive that we can have cognitive changes, including brain fog, um, and you know, word finding challenges.
0: Yeah. Um, and let's talk about what word finding is because some people might not know what that is. Okay. But- you know, word finding is as we get older, we can't remember a word. It just takes a little longer to remember it or even the name of somebody we've been friends with our whole life. Sometimes it can be really embarrassing, and a lot of people when they start having word finding issues think oh, am I am I starting dementia? Is something wrong with my brain? Mm -hmm. but it's actually part of aging part, part of normal aging, but you're talking about it really coming on even more due to the brain fog of menopause. And again, if your sleep is jacked up, then you're going to have a harder time with memory and everything that, that poor sleep impacts.
1: Yeah. Um, kind of related in this area too, is sort of in the midst of the pandemic, when everything was changed, I was struggling with focus and concentration and memory. And I was trying to figure out, is this the pandemic? Is it my hormones? (laughs) Is it depression? You know, what is it? Because we were going through so many changes on a global level. Um, It was actually what I eventually discovered, ADHD, and I got diagnosed Ah. when I was 50 because estrogen actually has a mediating effect on the ADHD symptoms. And so it's not uncommon that women get diagnosed for the first time
0: in perimenopausal or menopausal kind of timeframe. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, Yes, if you do not have enough estrogen in your body, it is going to cause you to have more ADHD symptoms. And if you take medication for ADHD, it it actually will worsen the efficacy of the medication. So your medication won't be quite as effective. And mm-hmm. that can be if somebody is on a progesterone-based birth control method too, and they have a, have less estrogen in their body as a result of it, or if you go through menopause. So I had to throw that out there just because there's so many people that have ADHD that just really struggle to function. And I'm so glad you brought that up. I think that's great advice. You know,
1: we haven't dialed in
0: healthcare for
1: women in quite the same way as we have for men. Thanks, patriarchy. But um, <laughs> there are even some uh, practitioners that when a woman is young enough and having her period still that they will dose her ADHD meds according to where she is in her cycle. Wow. Yeah. So, so what's our- the next chunk there on your symptoms? Yeah, Our next chunk is mood because <laughs> we can have issues with anxiety, depression, um, rage, irritability, mm-hmm. just really uh, fluctuating moods.
0: And see, this is where I feel like women get so minimized because mm-hmm. I feel like we we make fun of women for their moods. And, and by doing that, we minimize that, you know, they're really going through that. Yes. Right. It, it invalidates them. Yeah, it definitely
1: does. You know, it's only part of who we are. And, mm-hmm. um, just because we might be perimenopausal and we might be struggling a bit with our moods in ways we haven't previously. Um, I've seen women who have never had depression before in their lives are actually two to four times more likely to have depression Mm -hmm. during the the sort of phase of life when they're going through these changes. Um, It doesn't diminish that there are still... shitty things that happen to us that we're going mm-hmm. to have reactions to. Mm-hmm.
0: So, exactly.
1: Mm-hmm, people want to blame it on menopause when actually mm-hmm. they
0: might just be being shitty. You know, and I would think that if you then start experiencing depression during menopause and you get on an SSRI, which is known many SSRI. SSRIs will decrease sexual desire for people, you're kind of going to have a double whammy. And I know you're going to get to that when you talk about just the impact of menopause on our sexual functioning. Yeah, for
1: sure. And um, do we want to define what SSRIs are? That's a great idea. Thanks. So select serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which is a common um, medication used for as an antidepressant. Most of the antidepressants are SSRIs and they are known that all of them can cause sexual side effects. They may, they may not, but they all have the potential. The only medication for depression that we know that doesn't have sexual side effects linked is an SNRI, which has to do with norepinephrine instead of serotonin, and that is Welbutrin. So kind of a little side note we'll put in here that sometimes if someone is on an SSRI, antidepressant, and is struggling with sexual side effects, sometimes a practitioner will add in Wellbutrin because it can sometimes ameliorate some
0: of those sexual side effects. That that is so helpful for people to know because I don't think practitioners always explain the sexual side effects of medications when they're prescribing them. Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah. All right. So we're b- on to our last little chunk of symptoms, which is the urinary, sexual and vaginal symptoms. That's a mouthful. It is. <laughs> so genital symptoms range from dryness to burning and itching, irritation, discharge. Ouch, um, ouch, ouch. Ouch, 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 yes. I mean, some women, c- it can even get as bad as it's uncomfortable to wear pants. Yeah. Um, so it can definitely impact your quality of life. Um, urinary symptoms can be things like uh, more frequent UTIs or urinary tract infections, mm-hmm. uh, urinary frequency and urgency, painful urination, increased urination, um, some leaks and incontinence. So, um, if we think about that as we age, um, it can cause you to wake up during the night to go to the bathroom. So there's Mm -hmm. another sleep issue there. Mm -hmm. So we'll talk about a, a a possible, um, treatment that women can talk to their doctor about if they're interested. And the last little area with genital symptoms, oops, I'm sorry, sexual symptoms, uh, decreased vaginal lubrication, low libido, bleeding after intercourse, painful intercourse, um, just all kinds of challenges there. In fact, what used to be termed vaginal atrophy. Uh, years ago has now been renamed as genitourinary syndrome of menopause mm-hmm. because they wanted to capture that it impacts more than just our vagina, mm-hmm. that it impacts our, our whole vulvar area and that, um, you know, sometimes vaginal atrophy, I think women can think, well, I'm not sexually active, you know. Mm-hmm. Maybe my husband has died and and I'm not actually actually having sex, so I don't need to worry about this. Mm-hmm. But when you think about many of those symptoms are really closely tied to quality of life, itching, burning, frequent UTIs, yeah. you know, frequent urination, which can cause you to get up in the middle of the night. And even as we age and our bones are more fragile, you know, that makes us more of a fall risk. Right. So um there are some, one of the people that I, I like her, her information, Dr. Rachel Rubin is a urologist and a sexual medicine specialist. And she's at uh Dr. I'm sorry, rachelrubinmd.com but she talks about how it is it is literally a life and death issue because of of that urination issue hmm. and how as we age um when we get into our our golden elderly years um utis can cause a lot of uh, confusion and right. cognitive changes and that whole issue of um, nocturia, having to get up in the middle of the night mm-hmm. and how we're at more of a risk for falls and for, you know, breaking our hip and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that's really important is, is getting uh, some treatments so that we can prevent things from worsening. So can I give you some good statistics? Because I was shocked by these.
0: Yeah, I would love to hear some statistics. Okay. The
1: numbers of the, of women who are postmenopausal. So the, the symptoms can start in perimenopausal, but by the time you hit, you know, you've, you've had no period for 12 months. By the time you're into that transition, the number of women that have symptoms of genitourinary syndrome of menopause range from 50% to up to 84%. You gotta be kidding me. No. The numbers are huge, but less Whoa. than 25% of women seek help. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it can be because women don't even know that some of these things are related. Right. And a lot of physicians or medical providers might not be talking to women about their bodies mm-hmm. and about their sexuality because, you know, so many people have such a discomfort talking about sex. And and
0: just because you are a, a medical practitioner, it doesn't exempt you from that. Well, and I think that is a huge challenge for people because medical providers aren't typically taught about sex
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, you know, they're people just like us they have the same discomfort or awkwardness asking somebody about their sex life, right? Because it's always been such a taboo subject in our society. So yeah. I think there's a lot of reasons why providers don't bring it up. I think providers are getting a lot better yeah. now about I bringing it up, but I I wish I could remember the statistic off the top of my head. I'll add it to the show notes of the, um, the percentage of providers that actually will ask about sex.
1: Yeah, that that would be a great one. Um, It's pretty low. One of my good friends is 70. And she said, not one medical provider talked to her about menopause during her whole entire going through it phase. Wow. And so I I am, you know, now that I hit 50. Well, even before I was learning about this, you know, I'm the first one often to talk to many of my friends. Mm -hmm. I've got Six older sisters. I'm the first one that I really remember talking about all of this stuff. You know, I don't even remember my sisters sharing um, much about how this transition was for them.
0: Well, and it's great that you're talking to people about it, and you've you've learned so much about it. Like I'm can't, I'm blown away by your knowledge. You know, really that you've learned about menopause because we don't really learn about it. No one talks to us about it. And then what happens is like, I will have women come to me saying, yeah, I was having a lot of pain. So I just keep trying lube yeah. and they think lube is going to fix these issues that lube's not going to fix, quite frankly.
1: For sure. Yeah. Lube is kind of a first line of defense, so to speak, right? But sometimes you need a lot more than that.
0: Yeah. I got to tell you when, when I was in menopause and, or perimenopausal and then into, well, actually it was when I was in menopause, it was like sandpaper, you know, penetration. It Mm -hmm. was like, you literally were rubbing sandpaper on my vagina. That's how it felt. I I couldn't believe how much it hurt and I knew better.
1: Yeah. Right. That certainly does not feel very sexy.
0: Yeah. No, kind of hard to stay aroused and. And into it when it hurts like hell. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know,
1: you made the point in the beginning of the show. I think that's what such an important reason why men need to know about this too. Because so many men don't know what we go through. If you're in a straight relationship or you have male partners, you know, They need to know that this is going on because when men start to get frustrated, if their partner is having changes in their desire or in their um, wanting to have sex with them, you know, this might help them have some understanding and maybe even some compassion.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point because we could have an entire other episode about how it can be such an unfortunate response for men. Mm -hmm. And they feel like their partner doesn't desire them and they feel rejected or, you know, if they're great guys, they don't want to hurt their partner. And that experience of pain they're having can actually contribute to some erectile dysfunction Mm -hmm. because they're anxious and they're worried then that they're going to hurt their partner. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is so important for all partners to know. Yeah definitely can become
1: like a downward spiral Mm -hmm. very quickly. Mm
0: -hmm. Wow. This has been such a fabulous conversation about menopause. And I know that we have so much more to talk about that. I think we need to break this into two different recording dates. So two different episodes. So I'm going to end this first episode right now, And then I would love for you to join me for part B of this because we talk about such amazing stuff and I know you're not going to want to miss it. And hey, one more thing is I would love to keep this podcast going. So if you haven't already subscribed, I would love for you to do that and give the podcast a rating. And if you have any questions in the future, that you would love for me to address on the podcast, please go to my website to lovefilledlife.com forward slash ask hyphen Heather. Again, lovefilledlife.com forward slash ask hyphen Heather and fill out the information there with what question you'd like me to address on the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. And remember until next time, life is too short for bad sex.